The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Midweek sports special. At the Emirates, Arsenal and Man City in the tensest title decider since Danny Shitu's autobiography in the Champions League defeats for Chelsea and Spurs. We talk absurd Champions League winners and Paris final inquiry, plus Merseyside derby, Newcastle Liverpool and a tribute to Sir Bobby. All that and more in this Totally Football Show. Well, Thursday the 16th of February, and on Totally Football Show today, got in the studio, Charlie Eccleshare. Hello, Charlie. Hello. Sasha Gurinoff's with us as well. All right, Sasha. Morning, James. And Duncan Alexander. Hello. I noticed we're all wearing glasses. I had the same thought. Thanks. How about that, listen? <laughs> oh, barely seconds into the show. <laughs> and already. Content. Yeah. Quite a range as well. We're going to be hearing from uh, Lynn Toomey later on. He's in Dortmund, you know. Lucky man. Is he in glasses? That's the question. And George Corkin as well should be joining us too. Duncan, each day on Premier League, there is one main crisis club. The goal is never to be it. Can we get a regular crisis club update? Um, Tottenham, I think. Is it? Yeah, possibly. Maybe. I don't think Arsenal are in crisis just because they lost to Man City. Well, how about because they lost to Everton and they only drew at the weekend? That's not crisis. That's a blip. Well, we'll find out. We certainly will. So much has happened, of course, since our last show. Monday night, Liverpool beat Everton 2 0 in the Merseyside Derby. Tuesday, it was the champions with a 1 0 win for Milan against Spurs and for Bayern at PSG. Parisians' third straight defeat. On Wednesday, Chelsea also lost 1-0, that was at Dortmund, while there was an extravagant 2-0 for Benfica at Scott Parker's Bruges. Meanwhile, back home, Arsenal and Man City finally met in the Premier League, with City running out 3-1 winners. This weekend, Arsenal visit Villa, Emery memory klaxon, a City go to Forest, Spurs take on West Ham, Everton Leeds, Newcastle, Liverpool and other stuff too. Let's get going. With Wednesday night, the Emirates. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Team Energy in these Manchester City legs. De Bruyne, Haaland! That could be that tonight! It's the first goal in four games for Erling Haaland! The look of champions about Manchester City tonight. Wednesday night, Arsenal 1, Man City 3. Long time coming this game. How was it, Charlie Eccleshare? Well, I think it went the way a lot of people thought it would. It felt like a sort of challenger against champion kind of match. I think they were pretty even, but the champions had the greater know-how. They were more ruthless. They took their chances in a way that Arsenal didn't. I think... When the news started to come through that Thomas Partey was going to miss the game, I think that was met with huge trepidation by Arsenal fans. He is possibly him or Saka, but I think he's probably the one that most fans would least have liked to lose for this game. He's so fundamental. When Arsenal have lost this season, he's not been playing uh, and it came to pass again. I think he was a big loss. That said, you know, they. I, I don't think Arsenal disgraced themselves at all I think they put up a good fight and you know small margins they could have scored uh, 
at 1-1, that one where Nketiah shades of Gaza at Euro 96, just couldn't quite get onto a low pullback. And then City went up the end, other end and, and punished, you know, a loose pass from Gabriel in the first half. De Bruyne punished that uh, Tommy Asu back pass in the most ruthless way imaginable. Ruthless. So, yeah, I, I think it was small margins, but City just have the edge in, in the big moments. Right. Do they have the edge in the title race now? I think so. Yeah, I mean, it feels like... Uh, it seems strange that actually Arsenal level on points, but Arsenal have the game in hand. So they do still have a lead of sorts because it felt very much like City. That was a big statement mm. uh, that they are now the front runners and have the momentum. It'll be really interesting to see how Arsenal respond. I mean, they last season, they had three successive defeats when they were going for top four. They did actually rally really impressively. They didn't finish fourth, but they came back, won a few games in a row against Chelsea, United, West Ham. What do they do now? Because they're in a similarly sticky spot. I was going to ask, how, how long is party out for? Well, it's apparently not a major issue. It's muscular, um, which never sounds great, but they, ha- they haven't offered any time frame. You'd imagine Saturday, especially as it's the early kickoff, would come too soon for him. And it really can't be overstated how big a loss that is. I- He's so crucial to the way they play. Although Jorginho did quite he well. He did do well, thought. and he grew into the game. Yeah. But, but, I, he, but I think he is at fault for, for for the second and the third, partially, because he fails to read the situation, I think, in the way Partey would have done. Because you can see he's behind play, play on, on, the, on, the, on the second goal. As the ball comes across, he's kind of jogging back. He doesn't really mm. read where he's supposed to be. And for the third goal, Gundogan just goes past him. He's the wrong yeah. side of Gundogan. So I think general sort of unawareness of where he needs to be defensively I think those Which was always moments, one of the criticisms he had at Chelsea. It, but so. well, and here you're up, up against City. Um, totally. And when Arsenal lost 3-1 at United earlier in the season, Partey missed that game. And Sambi Lekonga similarly was caught out when, uh, when United countered. I mean, Partey is, is kind of what separates Arsenal from that late era Wenger team and the Emery team. We'll talk about Unai Emery because they play Emery's Villa. He is, you know, he has the discipline, allows the players to go forward. When he's out the team, they can still look a bit ragged. And like they did for the second goal that you mentioned, where all of a sudden they give the ball away and they're completely outnumbered. So they need him back. They really do. We should talk about City's approach as well, because it was in these sort of games, everyone's excited about, you know, what's Pep cooked up in his magic cauldron. <laughs> yeah. And he went sort of joking at Egil Olsen. He went long. Mm. It was City's lowest um, possession figure under him in the Premier League. It was their lowest pass completion. They normally hit around 4% of their passes long. They went 8% here. They kind of used, first up particularly, it was Haaland and KDB were like kind of Quinn and Phillips in their mm. pump. And the, and the first goal came from a challenge that, that ran through to De Bruyne. Um, and he finished well on his left foot. It's his 10th left-footed goal in the Premier League since the start of last season. He Charlie. is, yeah, he's amazingly two-footed. Well, yeah, th- th- well, that reminds me, yeah, because I was having a debate because just before De Bruyne scored and Ketia had a header, had a mm. header chance, which I thought was a lot easier than the De Bruyne one. And I was having a bit of back and forth. And my brother was saying he thought the De Bruyne one wasn't that hard because where the keeper is, it mm. sort of makes his mind up. It tells him exactly what to do. I think De Bruyne made that look easy. But I thought you might be able to quantify yeah, the raw, XG, the, the raw, raw numbers. numbers. The raw, well, it's interesting because De Bruyne was given 0.22. Mm-hmm. And I think that is because the keeper was out. So essentially, it is a, it's a semi-open goal. Nketiah was 0.29. And he did have to leap. It was quite a, He was sort of leapt up and twisted as he did it. Mm. It was a hard header to score, and he didn't score. But I th- So they're quite close. But I think, I think De Bruyne is, is, um, is the hard chance. Yeah. Mm. I think for, for Nketiah's chance, I mean, he, essentially he's free. Um, and I think the only thing that probably would make it 
a little bit more difficult is the fact that the cross was from Zinchenko was so vicious. It was whipped, it really, it? really whipped it in. Uh, and maybe he just didn't react fast, fast enough to that. But I think in terms of De Bruyne goal, it's it's the bounce. The whole thing is a bit awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, that's why he gets he wins this one. Mm. Because Saka equalised after Anketia won the penalty. Saka scores! He takes the burden of responsibility. He brushes off the pressure. And Arsenal come from behind at home against the reigning champions. Antics from Edison as well. Mm. He was pointing where Saka should put it again and again. And to be fair... Does that work, Duncan, statistically? (laughs) <laughs> um, sadly, I don't have numbers on that, but I don't. Well, I, maybe it does, but I mean, Saka was very cool because he mm. put it exactly where Edison was, and Edison obviously thought he wouldn't because he went right. completely the other way. So it's interesting. Right. So I think Edison maybe thought, you know, Saka's got a really, really good penalty record for Arsenal, but obviously he's best known, I guess, worldwide for missing in the Euros final. So I think Edison thought I can get into his head here, but Saka's actually really good at pen. So there four from go. four for Arsenal. You, you keep mentioning that Edison thought, Edison thought, Edison thought. He definitely did not think when he took out Nketiah because that was just. What did you think of that? Is, is that uh, a second uh, booking? No, I don't. I don't think it is like a vicious challenge or anything. I just think he, a he doesn't need to be there, mm. and b it's like he's almost like switched off and dozily walking into it because. Like if, if a keeper comes out to block, I think we'll talk later about the Champions League, you kind of stop. He just carries he, on into the play. He player. looked like a man walking into a lift who doesn't realise someone's coming out of the lift. You know, you're like, oh, <laughs> or, sorry. or he's looking at their phone absentmindedly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it was quite funny because Nketiah thought a goal had been given, I think. Mm. So yeah. he sort of like started the celebration <laughs> process. <laughs> he's like, no, 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 it's not a goal. Put your, fo- put your fake phone away. Uh, Arsenal level with that, but as you were saying... Uh, facing Man City is a bit like taking uh, taking Djokovic on over five sets. And, and back they come in the second half. Goals from Jack Grealish set up partially by Erling Haaland, who then gets his 26th goal of the season. Duncan, mm. I read that he's now got three more goals than Chelsea have in the this Premier League season, this season. Yeah, yep. oh, wow. Get Graham Potter on to uh, <laughs> Erling Haaland. I mean, it, he's equaled City's best ever Premier League goal total from a player in a season, which was Aguero in... In one season, and mm. you know it's, it's mid-February, and you know Shearer was obviously working for Amazon um, on the game, and he basically said afterwards that his one of his many records he still has, which is 34, joint with Andy Cole for record, mm. and that was in a 42-game season, and he said it's over. So mm. it's 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 such a weird season because I think people are still wondering how Harlem fits into that team, and is he playing well? And yeah, yeah he's he, rattling in the goal. He's literally he goes from either every game. Either he doesn't score and it's, it's Harlan makes it to us, or he gets two or three and it's like, it's that man Harland again and there seems to be like nothing but, in between. But also Spurs were in such weird form and yet they didn't even allow him a shot or a touch yeah. in the box. It's, mm. it's, and that's why I do think Arsenal have still got a chance because I don't think the City team are going to rattle off 11 wins in a row now. I think they are going to drop points again. Mm. And I think from a historical point of view, obviously we're going to talk about Arsenal going to Villa um, at the weekend. If you think back to 2008, late February, they went to Birmingham, mm. same city, Drew 2-2, lost Eduardo to injury, Galas sat on the pitch at the end. And I know a few Arsenal fans have said that this season is reminding them of that campaign a little bit. Really? Well, yeah. 
let, let's hope they don't get as rattled. Uh, but also what um, Holland does, he rattles defenders sometimes because definitely rattled um, Gabriel. Mm. Eventually he just wore them down. I think that led to that mistake. Well, your, and there was your that segue, Sasha, uh, top class. <laughs> Thanks. Magnificent. But, but I do think, yeah, because I, I tweeted yesterday about Djokovic and City. They do feel so similar to me. City are so relentless, not, not just in an individual game, but in a title fight. Mm. The way, and with Djokovic as well, you can be a set up and you can think, like, I've got this guy. All of a sudden, you lose your second, you fall off down in the third. And with City again, Arsenal were, you know, what was it, five points clear with the game in hand. And then every, and again, like with Djokovic, what will always happen is in, during a major, people say, is he injured? Something doesn't quite look right with him. And then obviously <laughs> a week later, he's cruising to a title. Same with City. When they lost to Spurs, it was, eh, something not quite right at City. And here they are, top, and probably going to win the league again. Yeah. Just going back historically even further. Mm-hmm. 1990-91, Arsenal won the league, but they had points docked um, mm. for a brawl at Old Trafford. I was thinking, if you can take points off a team for mm. basically just a little bit of handbags with Brian McClare, give them points? And if you've admitted that they shouldn't have, you know, conceded a goal at the weekend, right? give Arsenal two points. Okay, Duncan, it's a thought. <laughs> or could you replay the last 20 minutes? Yeah, they, there was a Real Madrid game in the 2000s where it was uh, abandoned. abandoned with about four minutes to go. And in Spain, they don't replay the whole game. They just So, didn't but you can rename your team in between. So, Real Madrid named like seven up front. They needed one goal. <laughs> they scored and then they made like three substitutions with all defenders coming on. Do so, you're allowed to make three substitutions. Yeah, because yeah, otherwise you might have to replay like injured players. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Sorry, them's the rules. Yeah. Brilliant. So this weekend it is Arsenal away at Villa in the we've both just been beaten three one by Man City Classico. <laughs> uh Unai Emery, former Arsenal manager, who knocked them out of the Europa League in the semi-finals in twenty twenty one. They've not had the best of form of late Villa, no. but this is a key game in terms of Arsenal's reaction. It is, and it's the the tight turnaround that they really wouldn't have wanted, I would have thought, having to go there. Saturday 12.30 they actually weirdly had the exact same thing last season their away game at Villa was a 12.30 Saturday after they just lost to Liverpool at home in a similarly bruising exhausting 2-0 defeat and they won that day they beat Villa 1-0 but it was a quite back to the wall get Rob holding on and sort of lock down for the last 20 minutes they would absolutely take that again I think it's a huge game because if they do drop points then I think you are starting to think, you know, are they even really... Blip becomes e- wobble. Yeah, becomes... Top they... four battle. Well, a little bit. I mean, maybe not that low, but certainly they're looking down at United, who mm. are only five points behind them. Mm. But if they do win, and then, who knows, you know, may, then puts a little bit of pressure back on City, away at Forest, not an easy game at the moment, uh, but they need something, mm. they need to stabilise. City at the City ground to face Forest. How'd it go last time they met? 6-0. Man City I mean it was a different, different forest literally yeah. a different forest <laughs> like, like Robin Hood in Kent he's like this is a different yeah. forest um, I mean it's not really in Arteta's nature but you do wonder whether you know a draw would have been a good result for Arsenal last night they'd have kept that mm. kept that three point margin with a game in hand but I don't think this Arsenal team's really set up to, mm. to dig in all right. Well, those games coming up at the weekend meantime also happening in the last few days Champions League let's get on to that next This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by LiveScore Bet. With Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet, you can combine markets from thousands of options to create your own bet on the biggest football fixtures in the Premier League, the Champions League, the EFL, and around the world. 
So if you think you can successfully pick the first goal scorer, the final score, the total number of corners and whether there'll be a red card, then use BetBuilder from LiveScoreBet to make up to six selections and get a single bet with the combined odds. Or if you can't make up your mind, you can choose from the pre-built quick bet options. BetBuilder from LiveScoreBet. Building a bet just got easier. Find out more at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScoreBet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only. Full account terms apply. And of course, please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. European Cup competition returned this week after three months away with victories for Bayern at PSG and Milan at home to Spurs. Benfica winning 2-0 at Bruges and Chelsea going down by a goal at the Westfalen Stadion. To Borussia Dortmund. Joining us on the line now from the Ruhr, Liam Toomey. Liam. Literally from the Ruhr. Hello, Liam. Hello. Yes. How how was Wednesday night in the Ruhr? It was good. I'd never done Signal Aduna Park before. It was an important one for me to tick off. Um, I was very impressed with the stadium. They had the yellow wall in full effect. Massive TIFO um, before kickoff. Reminded me of uh, Eintracht Frankfurt when Chelsea had played there a couple of years ago. And um, yeah, it was a really pulsating atmosphere and I think a very entertaining game all evening, apart from fans of finishing. Mm. Uh, but it, it, for Chelsea, it was a familiar story, wasn't it? Lots of chances, no goals and, and ultimately disappointment. Mm. A team that plays well but doesn't take its chances. It's like they hired Graham Potter or something. <laughs> a brilliant goal, though, from Borussia Dortmund later on. Karim Edeyemi. A racing beyond Enzo Fernandez and an extraordinary run and a, a brilliant finish. Has now gone up, but the referee's going to play the advantage because Adeyemi's 1v1 with Enzo Fernandez and he's full of speed and he's gone around the goalkeeper and he's scored! Yeah, it's the kind of goal that doesn't usually happen to Chelsea and, and because primarily N'Golo Kante is usually the last man back in those situations and he doesn't get beaten for speed. Graham Potter said after the match that he was he was very disappointed with the sequence of play that led to the goal. Obviously, Kareem Adeyemi getting isolated 1v1 against Enzo Fernandez was was not in any world part of the game plan for Chelsea. Um, there's also a question, I think, of whether Kepa could possibly have been quicker off his line. Um, I'm not a goalkeeping expert, so I'll defer on that one. But it was a... It was a bad goal to concede and it, and it continues a pattern for Chelsea of them finding ever more creative ways not to score and yet always finding a way to give away one goal. And when you do that, it's very difficult to, to beat anyone. All right. Well, from the positive side of things, there are no away goals anymore. So the 1-0 scoreline, not too damaging. Three weeks until the return. 
And those three weeks could be key if Potter's ideas are, in the meantime, taking root with his team, uh, new players and old. Do you have a feeling that this Chelsea side, for all the disappointments of Wednesday, is coming together, Liam? I think there were signs of that um, in Dortmund. I think they were they were more cohesive for long stretches, particularly in the second half. In the first half, they, they had less of the ball. They were reduced to playing on the counter-attack quite a lot, which they did pretty well. Um, but the second half, I think they controlled Dortmund very well, as, apart from the Adiemi goal. Um, and so I think Potter did take positives out of it. I know that that particular line could really infuriate some Chelsea fans right now when they don't have the results to back it up. They are making steps forward with the signings assimilating, slowly getting players back from injury. Rhys James looked a little bit closer to full power last night. And these next three weeks really are Chelsea's season. Um, because I, I was told in the lead-up to this game that there was a belief at Chelsea, absurd as it might sound from the outside, from ownership down, that they can win the Champions League this year, that it is well within their grasp. And the tie is still alive. So they need these next three weeks to become a team, to get more players back, chiefly N'Golo Kante. If they can get him back in anything like his 2021 uh, condition, then they do have a, a, a chance to actually go deep in this competition. But if they don't use the next three weeks well, if they don't go well for Potter, then this season is completely lost. Liam, have a great trip back. Thank you. Liam Toomey, what, what would you make of this notion that it's absurd that Chelsea could win the, the Champions League? Well, it would have felt more absurd in 2012. Dimitteo. When Dimitteo mm. led them. I mean, I, I was thinking this the other day. It did feel pretty absurd then. It did feel absurd, yeah. yeah. But, but I then mean, that's the Champions League, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But Liverpool I was, 2005. Liverpool, that was well, very absurd. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about Liverpool 2005 and Porto winning it in 2004. And it does feel... I'm not saying Chelsea are going to win the Champions League, but it does feel more ripe for an outside winner this year. You know, mm. previously it's felt like such a closed shot because mm. there were a few super teams. I don't see that this season. I don't see, you know, because Liverpool, would you'd have put in that bracket over the last few years. I don't think people would see them that way. City are still a bit unknown. You know, they've never, they haven't won it. So I thought they were Djokovic in a tennis match. In the Premier League terms, ah, they are. Okay. No. Where does Djokovic play badly? Is it... You- uh, he wins Australian all the time. Yeah, he doesn't French, win the US. French. Well, the French, he's won a couple, won. and that's US. Nadal. But US, he's under. Okay. You probably say he's underachieved there. Right. That's probably his City that's Champions City, League equivalent. Yeah. But yeah, so I feel they're, 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 there could be a surprise winner this year, or at least there's more chance than there has been previously. Okay. What about this weekend at Stamford Bridge as Chelsea take on Saints? Will we see a surprise winner there? Saints still without a manager and still very much bottom of the table. Hmm. Uh, Jesse Marsh was. Poised to become their new boss, but there was an issue over the duration of his contract. Mm. Mm. Which I can sort of see both sides, really. I mean, if you're going to give that length of time to Nathan Jones, then maybe give at least a year and a bit to... to well, they gave what? I think it was just to the end of the season. Right. So that's quite give a lot of pressure. Marsh, the end of the season. Mm. Mm. It's a shame because there's quite a lot of marshland surrounding Southampton. And you could have that whole when the Saints go marshing in yeah. as well. It's wasted content. Yeah, they should have thought of that. It's weird they didn't. Mm. Mm. Anyway. Him what? with a little pony in the New Forest. <laughs> <laughs> Lost. That's coming up on Saturday and should be a nice game for Chelsea to bounce back and continue their 
building under Potter, no? Score some goals. Because I, I was looking at this run that they've had, two wins in 13. Mm. I think they've only scored six goals. <laughs> I, and I know um, it's, it's been mentioned that um, Potter was talking about you know, new ways of finding or not scoring goals. You had the case again yesterday. I mean, not all the shots that were saved in the last 30 minutes by Kirby were particularly difficult, but there was two or three chances they should have converted. Um, and I think they played well. I think initially they started slow, but then obviously came into it. But they, it's like they need, they need, they need the goal scorer, don't they? I mean, Aubameyang sat at home. Yeah, not in the squad. <laughs> not even in the squad. I mean, I did, because I remember when there was a period under... Bright uh, at Brighton under Potter, and you know they famously would never score. And thinking like, oh, imagine if they had a Aubameyang, just someone who could put the ball in the net. And now they do, uh, but he never plays. And I'm not saying he's the answer, but it it is a weird conundrum. Is, is this something systemic to Potter? Because with Brighton, oh yeah, why don't they yeah. get the Zerbi? And suddenly they got a million goals. And suddenly you know March and Mitoma mm. are completely different players. Uh, I don't know how Potter trains his teams, mm. but. Like the record is there; they just don't score anymore. Yeah, I think that would that would seem more plausible if they weren't creating chances. What's weird is they do create a lot mm. of chances. Famously, you know, famously high xG, etc. It it feels very odd, and sh- you you would think with so many quality attackers, it will click eventually. Mm. Similar story for Spurs at San Siro; so many chances <laughs> created. Um, a team that focuses so much on defending that doesn't actually defend that well. It's a it's a unique proposition, that Antonio. Conte has provided us with uh, this time around. What did, what did you make of? Would it uh, Fraser Forster a magnificent double save? Yeah, but. I think I think we saw kind of what Fraser Forster, thirty-four, you know, six foot seven, can and can do. So I think the save was phenomenal. Uh, but I think that's you know goalkeeper training reaction. Stick his hand out whenever he has to move his feet or dive or do anything on the floor. This is where the difficulties come in. Mm. Uh, so I think we saw it against Leicester. We also saw it um, on the on the second missed header by AC Milan. Cross comes yeah. in, Foster doesn't, it's ambles over, he's in no man's land, gets very, very lucky. So I think, I, I mean, Lloris had his problems, but I think if you look at Foster, he's such a downgrade for, for them. I don't think he does anything spectacularly wrong, but you know, he goes down in installments, he is, he is not a top quality goalkeeper. That still co- looks quite an open tie though. Both it, teams had, I mean, those late chances for Milan before that, it was very much all Spurs. I mean, both Spurs and Chelsea are, are in decent positions, especially with no away goals anymore, I think. Mm. But it's mm. just, they are both less than some of their parts right now. People raving about Papasara. Yeah, he was really good and Skip did a good job as well. Mm. They, I mean, that you know, they came in, neither of them were the Champions League start and playing as a two, never easy, but they were both really good. I mean, I have to say, I thought the spurs Milan game was pretty low quality for a last 16 Champions League tie. Mm. Both teams felt pretty flawed. I mean, I was interested as well, Sash, though, with that save, the force to save, which is brilliant. Would it, though, have gone in anyway? I think it's going in. Yeah. yeah. I, I, think, I think he saved it up. And yeah. I think, unless he kind of catches it on the floor on the line, but I think, yeah, it was, it was traveling backwards. Yeah. I think he's almost yeah. helped then yeah. by Diaz just nodding it yeah. in because it makes it look like he'd made a great save. I think it probably would have taken But it was a phenomenal reaction. But it was. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Incredible reactions not. anyway. But yeah, I mean, Spurs, <laughs> the fact that Saar and Skip came in and they shone, really, because defensively. <laughs> Romero, I mean, Romero, I I was thinking this, who's been the bigger disappointment for Spurs this season, Romero or Son? Because Son's goal drought has obviously been well-documented, joint golden boot winner last season. But Romero, the way he was last season, he was so impressive. It just felt like he was almost going to be at the level of a Son and a Kane, you know, give Spurs a third superstar. And he's been 
really disappointing. Obviously, he won the World Cup in between. Big missed chance for Kane late on as well when he kind of rounded into the box from, from the left-hand side and you thought, oh, this is the moment, but, but a tame effort. Uh, Tottenham return home to reports that a US billionaire is setting up a multi-billion dollar takeover bid, which is exciting. Uh, meanwhile, Conte returns home in a very real sense because doctors have told him to stay there because he had an operation. He shouldn't be jumping up and down on the sideline. So it's going to be uh, your man Stellini in charge for the visit of, of West Ham. Uh, that's Sunday at 4.30. Sasha? Can I just say about Conte? I think, you know, when people say, oh, his team doesn't defend anymore. Mm. I think working for Conte this season is a nightmare. Like, you know, his friends have died. He's had an operation. Mm. I think it's... I, I do think this is, it's just underestimated how much it must have affected him. But we him. kind of say that every week, so I think that's it. okay, it's estimated. estimated. No, but it that's is, fine. Yeah, but I, let's I, estimate it again. And I think you know <laughs> this up and down yeah. uh, in the performances, and I think you know in in in, in any world, you know, yeah. a management a manager's um, situation outside of work, I think would have an, an right. effect on the team. And one one other thing I was going to add as well, um, mm. Bentancur. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are, what are Spurs going to do without him? Huge, huge I mean, loss. He, he is the one who you know, really makes things tick. Um, Sar and Skip obviously coming in and playing well is encouraging. But, but they're, they're kind of one-dimensional. He was two, he made them two-dimensional. Yeah, he, he is. And it's so important in that too. And Basuma's is injured mm-hmm. as well. So that's really untimely. Hoybier was suspended. He'll come mm-hmm. back. Yeah, that is a massive conundrum. I mean, we talked earlier about Partey and how important he is to Arsenal. Benton Core similarly because he can pass forward. You know, he can drive yeah, the team exactly. in a way that I mean, Saab can can do elements of that, but yeah, he's a big loss. What, what do you think about West Ham? Stellini then will be on first team duties there or, or, or sideline duties. Maybe that will be a benefit to, to Spurs. Well, I mean, their best performance of the season was against City uh, with Stellini uh, in the Conte role. West Ham also missing Pakatar most likely, so they're also without an important cent- central midfielder. Yeah, that's a hard game to call. I mean, I, I think... 1-1. Yeah, I think Spurs may edge it, but um, you know both teams will feel they've underachieved this season as it stands. Mm. All right, that's four thirty on Sunday, Sasha. Talking of underachievement, uh, so Ooh. Milan are playing Monza, but the atmosphere I thought uh, at the San Siro for Ooh. the Spurs game was phenomenal. Right, really, and Milan really against Monza is special. Why, Sasha? No, no. I mean, are they going to win a game? Another game in the league? I mean, they're right, on yeah, the road. Two one nil uh, wins yeah. in, a, in a row. Big Silve coming back, will he? Hmm? Big Silvio. Big Silvio, yeah. Oh. And Adriano Galliani, mm. yeah. Incredible. Monzu haven't lost a game since before the World Cup. Incredible. Incredible. All right. Uh, also in the Champions League, midweek, Benfica beat Bruges 2 0. Go on. People want to have a pop at Scott Parker, don't they? No, I'm just. It's. What's he doing there? <laughs> it's managing Bruges. No, but it's he's in Bruges. <laughs> he is really in Bruges, and he's definitely going through the theme of that film. I think, right. um, looking more and more lost every game. One win in eight. Um, really, nothing performance from yesterday. They actually played reasonably well at, at the weekend against Union Saint Gilloise, but against I mean Benfica had them. Pet Sasha, back. only you would come with how well they played. Against <laughs> <laughs> no, they got Saint-Gilloise. nice, expansive, and but here they felt really inhibited. They had one chance. They would have relied obviously on free kicks and two horrible, just dozy defensive mistakes. Right. Just really, team isn't on it. And I think 
you know, from Bruges' point of view, they do need to get into Europe again. They're gradually beginning to sort of fall down the table because of all those draws. It feels like they probably need to make a change because I don't think keeping Parker change. for another. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm, I don't quite understand what Parker is giving Bruges at this moment. In time. He's only just Sash there, is launching the Parker <laughs> out. Yeah, yeah. And, and Flanders is an uproar right now. <laughs> I actually, talk, talking of Flanders, I didn't realize you know Jan Bredel. Uh-huh. I thought he was some sort of you know club president or no, something. No, no, he's like butcher of Bruges, 13th century. Yeah, yeah. back in the day, rabble, rabble and he, he, maybe they needed him in this game. Right. right. Uh, but the, the thing that struck me, Dennis Adoy sent him in knockout stages of the Premier um, of the Champions League, uh, 34, really a defender by trade. I mean, what chance do you have? I don't know. We were all thinking it, though. <laughs> Thanks, Sash. Uh, Bayern beat PSG, but then everybody's doing that these days. That's their third straight defeat, the Parisians. Uh, it, by no means a definitive scoreline. Mbappe made a big difference when he came on. They'll hope to have him fit, of course, for the returns, etc. But major issues there. And Bayern, who've had uh, the old wobble themselves since the turn of the year, looking very impressive. PSG have now lost more games in 2023 than they did in the whole of 2022. That's a lot of games. Yeah, mm. five. Mm. It's just, you know, Messi hasn't appeared in a Champions League final since 2015. He's got... He's got that World Cup issue off his back, but it is. I don't think they're going to get there. Don't worry, PSG. There's always the second leg. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm. Uh, very good. Of course, it was Kingsley Coman, Paris born and bred, who got the winner there, as he did mm. in the uh, famous 2020 Champions League final between these two sides. Also, re- remarkable impact from Mbappe once you know he mm. got the measure of the situation. Yeah. And I felt that... You know, that run he made in the 73rd minute, right, was saved. But to go, talking of rattled, I think Bayern after that went, whoa. Yeah, well, he had a goal disallowed as well. A goal disallowed as well afterwards, oh. you know, steaming in behind the Licht. Mm. Um, made a huge difference. And I thought, yeah, Bayern did wobble. But also interesting, um, you know, very pointed comments about eating well and sleeping well. Oh, um, who, who said that? Uh, he said after the game, you know, you know, everyone needs to eat well and sleep well. well what do you think he meant by that? Uh, I think it's because Neymar's been passing hard again. Oh. Um, and Neymar, I think... Neymar's problem is the, these guys have so much health, they're so talented, and then it hits them. It's like, I think this is this, what, what happened with Eden Hazard because, you know, he used to come back every summer having had a good mm, time. Right. And then you hit a certain age and you just cannot shake it off anymore and then you're mm. injured all the time. So if Neymar, you know, Neymar's 29, 28, 29, so. it's that age. You know, if he doesn't stop, no, his career will be over. Uh, is it 30 now? It's, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I thought... 31. Oh, oh, well, okay. So, wow. it's, it's going up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's getting older now. It's the reverse Nigel Rio Coker. Yeah. Nigel Rio Coker is always younger than you think he is, and Neymar's always older. So they'll meet in the middle. Amazing. Confirmation for producer Jesse, turned 31 last week. Same birthday as Ronaldo and Tevez. Good, good birthday. Which Ronaldo? Ronaldo? Cristiano. Ah. Wow. Auspicious. Propitious. Mm. Yeah, or, or auspicious. Well, I think auspicious is better, Sash. Uh, Musa Derby time. We'll talk about that and Newcastle Liverpool this weekend next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at lifescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. On Monday at Anfield, we had the Merseyside Derby Liverpool two nil winners. Sasha, it's like good old days again, wasn't it? Mo Salah, Robbo picking fights with with the opposition. <laughs> he was. Uh, uh, it, it did make me chuckle because the program for the match had Robertson uh, <laughs> on the front, on, on the cover, which I thought was very very appropriate. Um, I think with Robertson, you know, he feels these occasions. I think you know, Robertson became sort of a folk hero when. He basically uh, chased City into their own box uh, yeah. back in 2018 through the whole pitch. Mm. Um, and I think he did a couple of things very smartly here in, in, in this game because, you know, the diagonal run for the second goal into the middle of the park was very nicely done, very him. And towards the end, there was a few minutes where Liverpool, yeah, the crowd was kind of dying, kind of dozing off and Liverpool was wobbling slightly and then he picked a fight. And then the whole place really picks up after that, wasted a couple of minutes as well. So I think, yeah, Darby is definitely made for him. Also, derbies are made for Everton defeats at Anfield because ev- ev- they find yet like funnier and funnier ways to concede goals. Mm. I mean, let's put it that way because I think when we saw the first goal, I think both sides of the divide mm. went it's the most typical Everton goal to concede. So Tarkovsky almost scoring. Was that from a corner? From a corner. Again, from a corner. Second corner of the match, the whole of the stadium goes, <gasps> because literally you can yeah. feel it, nervousness. And then the ball comes across and where we're sat in the press box, I thought that was going in. Mm. Then it hits the post and everyone goes, ah. Oh. And then Liverpool actually managed to break into space for the first time in the entire game. And Mo Salah converts for the first time in what feels like a while. But it was such a swaggering goal. This is this is where I think actually Nunez makes sense to play him on the wing for those runs. And he runs and he looks up, he looks up, he looks up while he's still going. The ball across is, is pretty good. And of course, Pickford, mm. again, this is... This is <laughs> This is the big problem I have with him: lack of composure and judgment of the situation. You he think that was Pickford's well, fault? He doesn't need to be out. If there. he was playing FIFA, he just press triangle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is very FIFA-y where he ends up. I saw a great tweet as well. So it says a lot about Jordan Pickford that that's only about the third maddest Merseyside derby <laughs> moment he's had. I mean, he is very skittish, and it's, the Merseyside derby seems to bring that out yeah. of him, especially just mad. Well, well he's here same in the first when game. he plays. Um, Everton have dropped him for games away at Newcastle because he gets so het up. No. Yeah, they, yeah, have. Have, they have. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. yeah that happened. So and I rate that in players. You know, <laughs> that's all you want. It's Liverpool who have a game away at Newcastle this weekend. Your record on the road, Sash. Is terrible. Yeah, you've conceded three goals in each of your last three away matches. Uh, but badly as well. Um, but in all those matches, there were moments where Liverpool maybe could have done something apart from the Brighton game. That was that was a low point or uh-huh. low points. Um, but we did discuss uh, with a couple of mates before the game that you know even at Wolves there was a couple of chances you need to mm. put to put away. So I think this is why we the lost three nil. Yeah, but Nunez had two chances where better composure, better decision making. Mm. So that's what we talked about before the Everton game. Mm. It's about time that attack did something. Also, fortunately, also about the time defense did something. And here, I think what really helped uh, was the fact that um, well. There was no offensive threat from Everton whatsoever. Well, right. and Newcastle don't really score goals. Uh, well, but well. they do. They do draws though. Like, oh, they love draws. Team. Yeah, <laughs> they love draws. But so, in terms of say for preparation, say for next week, because we've got Real Madrid <laughs> next week. This is no preparation at all, apart from psychological, because the team for the first time in a long time actually well, a won and b did what they wanted. And this is what Klopp said after the game. Actually, you know, we played that game. They didn't. We didn't do what they wanted us to do. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's hear about Newcastle's. 
preparations for this game. Uh, George Corkin joins us now on the line. Uh, George, thank you so much for being with us today. It's an absolute pleasure. What a delight. What a thrill. Excellent. Uh, we're looking forward, I'm sure you are too, to uh, Newcastle's clash with Liverpool tea time on Saturday. It's it's a remarkable campaign. Decipher for us, if you can, their current state. 17 games unbeaten, but five draws is it now in the last six, most recently at Bournemouth. Has that taken a bit of the enthusiasm off things? Well, it's it would be very harsh to say that, bearing in mind, yes, as you say, 17 games unbeaten, fourth in the Premier League, waiting to to for their first cup final for a for a generation. But it, it's it's felt to me. I mean, I was at Bournemouth, and it was a pretty awful game. And it, it it does feel like they're sort of right at their limit. I think that they're, you know, that they are tired. I mean, I think one of the kind of great things about Newcastle this season is that they're all performing you know they're they're overachieving you know whereas a, a, a team like Liverpool is clearly underachieving but it's felt to me that they've run out of steam a bit yeah mm. Liverpool would certainly be a statement win this weekend they haven't actually beaten Liverpool since 2015 uh, Jurgen Klopp one of his first matches in charge uh, Sasha's just nodding at me there uh, what do you think of the of the chances of Newcastle springing to life then for this game on Saturday? Yeah, it's it's a massive game. I mean, it's a big game for for Newcastle. Obviously, wanting to stay where they are, they're unbeaten at home this season in the league. The only team that still are, but of course that that huge game at Anfield, the reverse fixture, arguably, I mean, it's Newcastle's only defeat of the season in the league, but that arguably was one of the sort of turning points, I think. I mean, it was an astonishing match, 98th-minute winner. There was argy-bargy at the end with the Liverpool goalkeeping coach sticking his Vs up at the Newcastle bench and one of the Newcastle performance uh, analysts throwing a bottle and stuff. So it was very bad-tempered. But I think Newcastle put down a marker that night. They showed that they weren't going to roll over for anybody. And that has has really sort of stayed with, with them. I mean, Eddie Howe talked about it as being a match that ignited our fire. And so I think it'll be a big match. It'll be a big game. It'll be very noisy. It's uh, it's also the what would have been Sir Bobby Robson's 90th birthday. So it's going to be a day, a night full of emotion. And it, funnily enough, it might actually be the kind of game that Newcastle need to really sort of um, to, to rouse them. All right. Well, speaking of, of the great man himself, uh, one of Newcastle's greatest footballing sons you've been part of a, a a special kind of commemorative week for sir bobby uh a four sorry a four-part podcast series that you've been doing called bobby 90 yeah he was a very important figure in my in my career in my life i followed him to langley park uh, infant school a few years after he was there and then i i ghost wrote a column for him for the times and then we stayed in touch and i helped him with his last book and that's what forms the basis of Bobby 90. We've gone back through those old recordings, um, hours upon hours of it, where he was basically sort of narrating his own life story. We got permission from his family to to use them. It it wasn't sort of what I expected it to be because there's sort of my voice there. He's talking to me. It feels very intimate, but actually I hope and think that's possibly why it works as a podcast because, um, I mean, it's never been heard before, but it's him, him sort of having a conversation really um and we wanted to you know, we wanted to celebrate his life we also wanted to amplify the brilliant work of the sir bobby robson foundation which is still going strong what he described as his last and greatest team and 
yeah, it's been it's been a lot of work. It's been a year in the making. This podcast series have to thank absolutely everybody at the Athletic for letting us do it. Um, but it's been a real yeah real privilege. It's quite remarkable to hear a manager speaking so informally and so honestly about so many of you mentioned his career, so many of the, the extraordinary uh, places and, and things and players that he he worked with. So um, well worth checking out that. Uh, there's also a fanzine which is raising funds for the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation, the anti-cancer charity you referenced there. Or oh, magnificent. So that that on his birthday will be Newcastle, Liverpool. And uh, we shall see what it brings. George, in the meantime, many thanks for being with us today. Thank you very much indeed. And one thing I should say as well, Sam, one of our great designers at The Athletic, has designed a flag which we will be seeing on the day of the Liverpool game. So please, I'm really proud of him, really proud of that. Can't wait to see that on the day itself. But yeah, thanks for having me. How big is the flag, George? Huge. And, and, and it's, there, it's there for a manager to be successful. It really is. It's just a case of getting it right. We have the public, we have the stadium. I think that the owner or the chairman and the manager are crucial to each other. And if that's a good partnership and, and they're backing each other up and they're supporting each other, there's no reason why it can't be in the top four all of the time. That was the unmistakable voice of Sir Bobby Robson, talking to me, George Culkin, during the months and years before he died. Thanks to the generosity of his family, The Athletic are marking what would have been Sir Bobby's 90th birthday this weekend with Bobby 90, an exclusive four-part podcast series featuring previously unheard interviews with one of football's most iconic figures. It's packed with stories about growing up in the North East, managing Newcastle United, Barcelona, England, as well as players like Gazza, Brian Robson and Alan Shearer. And it details his repeated bouts with cancer, establishing the charitable foundation which carries his name. It's Bobby at his charismatic and emotional best. Listen to Bobby 90 for free by searching for Pollen the Tyne on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all usual podcast providers. George Corkin. Yeah, some good stuff on that Bobby 90 uh, series, particularly our friend Michael Cox's thing on his season with Barcelona in 96-97, which... He unearthed so much stuff I didn't know. It was one of those seasons I, th- I thought, and I think Michael admitted this as well, that you kind of think you know, but you don't. Mm, like I right. assumed, because everyone's seen that Ronaldo video so many times, all the goals he scored, that everyone loved him. But they really didn't at all. And he kind of didn't really fit into the team and didn't really help the team play other than scoring those goals. Right. Um, and there's loads of some really good Mourinho stuff in there as well. Yeah, so. Mourinho was his translator. Yeah, Guardiola in the team, mm. Mourinho as a translator and Ronaldo up front. That is, that <laughs> is some narrative. Extraordinary. All right, well, looking forward to uh, Newcastle-Liverpool this weekend and the big flag. Sasha? It's a, it's, it's a funny one, this one. I mean, uh, usually quite atmospheric big games, but I'm, I'm now thinking... What do Liverpool do in this game? Because um, tell you what they do. They come from behind. That's well, what they do to Newcastle more than any team against any other team in the Premier League. But they need to make sure that they do it in a situation that doesn't harm the game next week because right. I think this, the standout player in the Merseyside derby was Stefan Bajtic. Mm. Um, mm. And he is 18 years old. Mm. And I think the questions immediately afterwards were, should, should he be rested at the weekend and saved for Real? And I mean, you look at the race. It's, a lot, it's obviously maybe a sign of desperation, but also a sign of his quality that... Um, the, the talk is now of is Bacetic a starter against the mm. star-studded midfield that's going to they're going to be up against um, at Anfield next week. So perhaps on the one hand Liverpool 
if they do win, they get they get actually Champions League spot because more realistic. But I think they have to balance their priorities. I don't think they can you, go full full pelt. Do you think what is it? Ten points still between it's nine. So oh, it's nine, a game yeah. in hand. So if they win, it potentially becomes three. But I think they're gonna have to pick between Newcastle and Real Madrid. Maybe they don't. Maybe we, we, maybe we see what happened um, in 2019 when Liverpool. Go, and Origi got the desperate, desperate win at Newcastle mm. that fired them on to actually beat Barcelona 4-0. Mm. Maybe it might be that effect, but I'm looking at the current Liverpool and I'm thinking perhaps maybe they need to keep the power dry on Saturday. And didn't last season they beat Newcastle 1-0 away? I think it was the early Saturday game, having just had a Champions League knockout game, possibly even the semi-final. So, I mean, they've, they've been yeah. so good at doing both, which is such a hard thing to do. Because mm. this is another tight turnaround, isn't it? It's Tuesday night yeah. off the back of a Saturday 5.30. Exactly. So With a lot of injuries already. But... But, but they're coming back. They're beginning to come back. Jota <coughs> came mm. back against Everton. He looked very rusty uh, mm. when he came on. But Van Dijk, I think, is definitely going to be back for, for Real Madrid. Do you risk him against Newcastle to give him a bit of time? Mm. Questions? Let's not forget Newcastle aren't very good either. They're at Bournemouth last weekend, that game was, was not a classic. Mm. No. And, you know, they're in their chance of winning a domestic trophy for the mm. first time since 1955. They're going to have taken their eye off the ball. I think this could be a really strange game. Both, <laughs> Both teams, teams taking their eye off the ball. <laughs> what would we do? Yeah. You know, like Call the it a draw. Austria-West Germany game. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do that. If you want more top Liverpool uh, content, do check out the Walk On podcast with our friend Kiva and Tommy Ed- Ed- Evans, of course, in, in charge of that. Uh, and also, uh, keep listening now because on the subject of Liverpool, Sasha, you will have seen the report published this week into the appalling scenes before the last Champions League final, Liverpool against Real Madrid, 220 pages long and pretty much full of chastening words for both UEFA and the French police. Now, there has been an apology from the UEFA General Secretary for the fact that A, Liverpool supporters were put in a potentially life-threatening situation and then B, were blamed for it afterwards. But what's your opinion on what the report says on, and, and the lack of other action from UEFA? Well, I think before they took any action, I think they needed to investigate it properly. And I think this is what the report has done really well. Actually, looking at the report um, the last couple of days, I think it's a remarkably clear-eyed, if you like, mm. uh, because I think it's 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 um, very, very accurate, I think, about the um, the eight factors that contributed uh, to, to the whole thing, um, almost unraveling with disastrous um, uh, consequences before the game. And I think it all goes back to the whole transportation problem, whereby fans were funneled towards one station and then towards one, one entrance. Mm. And that this is where crowd management broke down. Um, and then after that, they were playing catch-up in a way they didn't want to really to play catch-up. And it is also recognized that whilst this is a UEFA event, I think this is the whole problem of communication and coordination. I mean, there was things going on with transport, there was things going on with police. And I think, you know, they've they've put in, I think, 20 or 21 points that need to be implemented and that they will be tracked. But I think it's almost mentality needs to change. Almost it's not, it wasn't, a lot of these events um, are approached as a crowd control issue. Maybe crowd safety issue should be more, uh, at the top of the priorities, because this is definitely, I think, what we felt on the day um, that there was distinct lack of sympathy. This is this is an afterthought. Stop making this inconvenience for us at a big event. And mm. I think this is what's so astonishing. And I think you look at some of the stuff. It's that the um, UEFA's own safety and security unit was kind of sidelined from discussions. I actually didn't realize as well it was Chefferin who made the call to delay the final. 
which is astonishing. I mean, you know, there is a management structure in every organization. It shouldn't be him on the stairs of of the stadium making the call that's delay this. And I think it was a very good call as well because, again, so many people are still outside and people would get anxious if the game is kicking off. So mm-hmm. that kind of, you know, mm-hmm. put the anxiety down a little bit. But I think also... Uh, what comes out of this is, you know, the, it's it's a big crowd. It's lots of different people, uh, but and I experienced when I was there as well. It was a remarkably calm and self mm. self police self controlled crowd, despite the fact that you know again at the at the entrances themselves at the turnstiles it was a complete mess as well. There was there was no filtering outside or anything like that. But people 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 knew what they were doing. People because for the collective experience of Hillsborough, even for those people who weren't there, because it's been passed down the generations of fans, people people knew how to behave in such a way that they don't endanger each other. Mm. Effectively like a vast, vast majority of people. Last year did see a, a terrible uh, tragedy elsewhere, but how, how close do you think we came to something? I think what happened, I think the closest, uh, the most dangerous, I think, situation of the whole night was when um, people were kept in the underpass um, in front of a very, very narrow entrance, which could not possibly process the crowds of people behind. And they kept funneling people towards that place. And you know, the thing that struck me uh, in the immediate post-match narrative, uh, fans arriving late. Fans arriving late, what kind of saved me slightly, because my mate arrived at 6.45, which is two hours, 15 minutes before kickoff, and was funneled into the underpass. We were gonna arrive earlier, uh, but then you know we stayed in Central Paris, you know, had some lovely dinner and a few beers. We arrived at quarter past seven, uh, which was one hour, 45 minutes before kickoff, which is <laughs> really not that late. And we were sent the other way because they realized the buildup was too, becoming too mm. big. But by that stage, it was almost out of control. So we walked around the other way. We had an, we, we, it was nice until you actually tried to get into the stadium at the turnstiles. So, yeah, it's it's basic. And again, this is Hillsborough. It's a basic failure of um, uh, of organization. Uh, on behalf, I think, well, in, in, in this case, actually, the initial problem came from from the police who were looking at um, at, at how to funnel the crowd outside. And, um, yeah, and it's very, and Hillsborough has been mentioned in this report as well, you know, there's remarkable similarities. And I think, yeah, I, I think it's it's almost, you didn't expect this to happen in Paris because, you know, they held so many events before. Mm. I, I was there for the Euros with, without pro- any problems whatsoever. But I think perhaps the, the, because it was so rushed the way it was, it, it was moved over, and because the different parts of the organization, of organizers didn't talk to each other, I think that this is why this happened. Right, the, the final was due to have been in St. Petersburg. Mm-hmm. There was also a train strike that day. That yeah, the, this, this was part of the problems why only one people were funneled towards one station, even right. though the other one was in use. You mm-hmm. could have actually got the train there from Gare du Nord, but from central Paris, you couldn't go there direct, and this was, this was unclear. Mm-hmm. So that's why people all went to one station. Eight factors, as you, as you mentioned it, these things can come together yeah. and can catch people unawares, but I think the really inexcusable, well, the equally inexcusable thing is the reaction afterwards and the decision immediately to blame supporters and that mentality very much at the heart of why these things keep Which happening. Which was said I on guess. telly as well. Yeah, it was repeated again as well. But I think, again, um, it's power to the people because people straight away said, look, mm. this is ridiculous. And we have been in this situation before. Well, exactly. That's the biggest Hillsborough yeah. isn't it? Exactly. And But this, this again... People started filming straight away, and the things people weren't afraid to speak out, and people felt so in the right um, that you know this this came together almost organically. And also another factor as well, you know, it was dangerous outside after the game. People were attacked, 
And again, there was no police coverage provided for those people trying to get back to the station. At the station, we ended up walking back to Paris effectively because we just put our head down. We just went because we were looking at what was happening around us. We were like, mm, let's just look like we know what we're doing and where we're going because mm-hmm. otherwise, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, who knows how it would have ended. So, yeah, overall, and it's, yeah, it, it's, it, it is remarkable that it happened in Paris of all places. We're sponsored for this episode of The Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Coming up this weekend, a bit more Premier League for you before we wrap it up on today's Totally Football Show in Everton. Fresh from that 2-0 beating on Monday, we'll be up against Leeds at Goodison Park. And very much a relegation battle this one. The Toffees in 18th place on 18 points. Leeds only a place better off and only a point better off too. Managerless. But so much more exciting. Really? Leeds. Oh, mm. Mm. So, I, I still can't believe th- th- that game against Villa when they just wiped the floor with Villa and lost 2-1, obviously one of Marsh's last games. Nonto is mm. like more exciting than I think the entire Everton team to put together. Wow. <laughs> and no, seriously, it's like, uh, you, you just if you want to watch if, as a neutral, I mean, you can't watch this one because it's at 3 p.m. Somerville as well. I mean, they've got a lot yeah, of exciting exactly. players. Very, it's maybe how it, maybe Marsh couldn't quite make mm. the whole thing come together defensively, particularly. Millie has been making quite a few mistakes, but yeah, I think I'd watch Leeds. There you go. Everton against Leeds. That's on Saturday. What else is happening? Wolves, Bournemouth, Man United, Leicester, Brentford Palace and Brighton Fulham. The nice... Oh, go on, Sash. Leicester. Yes. Leicester. Mm. Yeah. I mean, goals back. Yeah. Mm. Tete, ex-Schachter mm. player. Uh, on, is he on loan from Lyon? Or he, did they, uh, maybe he's on loan from Lyon. He's on loan from Schachter. He was on, on loan at Lyon before. Gives that excitement down the right to them. And um, yeah, and yeah, Nacho starting. Mm. And Barnes yeah. and Madison yeah. looking really good. Yeah, I mean, and Leicester have got a good recent record against United. I mean, United have won a lot of games narrowly or... Or late on, or both. I mean, well, both if they're winning it late on. But, you know, I mean, their goal difference is surprisingly... They've got a plus 10 goal difference. United. United have, mm. yeah. You know, which speaks to... You know, they've got 46 points with a plus 10 goal difference. Just by way of comparison, Newcastle have 22, Arsenal 26, City 36. Which underlines that. They've won a lot of close games. And I wonder if some of those might go the other way. Uh, this, obviously, Leicester will come off the back of... Barcelona tonight as we record mm. that's a, that's suddenly quite a tricky game whereas Leicester at home a month or so ago would have looked like a home banker suddenly a tricky game away at Barcelona no no I mean the Leicester one oh, I, I just mean because, yeah. because Leicester are, are suddenly found some form 
Well, indeed. They're quite streaky, aren't they, Leicester? They started mm. terribly. They had a, quite a good spell yeah. in the autumn. Mm. Then went really bad again. But I, I agree, they look really good. I mean, Madison um, has scored or assisted 21 goals in his last 19 Premier League games. Wow. And, and, you know, I think Manchester City have come out and said they're quite interested in getting him in the summer. So Have they said that? Yeah. Have they? Uh, Captain eight, as well now. And only one year left on his contract as of this summer. Ooh. Oh, okay. Yeah, back-to-back, come-from-behind, four-goal-scoring victories for the Foxes. Uh, Man United are about to have the Emir of Qatar, who is apparently poised to offer a mere uh, £4 billion <laughs> to buy them. That's what it says in a paper. Uh, this is ahead of Friday's soft deadline set by the Glazers for anybody who wants it. I, I thought that soft deadline was before. Maybe it's a kind of very soft Deadline. Not soft. really a deadline, is it? It's yeah, more it's of a kind of, of a, <laughs> you know, RSVP. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, will Michael Knighton be uh, putting in a cheeky bid? Well, what's he up to? I don't know. Juggling a ball, I imagine, on his head. Mm. Elsewhere in the Premier League, Brentford Crystal Palace and Brighton Fulham. That was the one I was heading towards. Good vibes. Good vibes at the Amex. For these two lovely teams, the cuddly side of <laughs> of football, no? Fulham are that cuddly. Are they Fulham not? are quite, they Do get they? stuck in. They're really? quite, yeah, quite hard-nosed team. Uh, right. fair, fair play. As a club, though. As a club, As yes. a club. Yeah. The lovely quaint stadium. Mm. Big Overcharging stand. fans. It's, it's all good. Well, you had to be that massive stand. It's yeah, somebody true. It's good, that stand. Yeah. Well, it looks good. Yeah. Everyone. Have you been in it, Sash? I'm not in it. I've I don't understand. Uh, they've kind I know of filled up gradually or something. I know this game is at the Amex, so this makes this <laughs> totally... Out. But I've never seen a stand open mm. so slowly as that stand. Mm. Like each yeah, yeah. week there seems about 100 more people allowed <laughs> yeah. in. I don't, I don't get it. Drip feed. Yeah, hmm. it's weird. But it's a soft opening. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Uh, Brighton have never beaten Fulham in the Premier League. How about that? Bogey team. Imagine Fulham beating your bogey team. Weird. But um, Brighton have already gone 39 goals this year. Going back to what we said about Potter earlier. Yeah. Two seasons ago, they scored 40 in total, and last season, 42. So they could surpass both of those totals in this game, which is uh, signs of progress. Mitoma in March, five goals each now, halfway to mm. the target that Deserbi set them. And very exciting. How serious, as, as, especially as a Liverpool fan, do you sort of assume you'll finish above both of this, these no. teams? I mean, do you think Brighton are, could genuinely get that fourth Champions League spot? I think it'd be brilliant. Like I genuinely think it would be rem- like it would be quite a big breakthrough. I mean, mm. biggest one since probably Leicester. And mm. even though with Leicester we thought at the time, you know, maybe it's a bit of a flash in the pan, but it's flash flash in the pan. Whereas with Brighton, it's like they keep losing players and getting stronger. It well, it would give hope to like the idea that you can build a system mm. and a recruitment team that can get you up there. Mm. But you could have Union against Brighton <sighs> in the Champions League next mm. season. This is one of the big problems I have with like Liverpool this season. If they don't get in the Champions League, Union do. They deny but me this Sash, trip. you're quite positive about Liverpool's chances of getting up into the... If they win the game in hand, etc., win against Newcastle. But that would mean they would have to get past the per- likes of Perversely, Brighton. James, yeah. I think it's almost... Um, and given past experience, yeah. for Liverpool, it might be easy winning the Champions League. It mm. is what, like it was in 2005. Well, before, the Liverpool-Chelsea yeah. Champions League final. Yeah. The yeah. winner gets back in. Mm. in Istanbul tasty yeah if, if it happens still in Istanbul but yeah but for Brighton and similar thing with Brentford obviously the um, 
the guys running the place are cut from a very similar cloth and then they had the falling out. Mm. What if it's Brighton and Brentford on last day of the season for the Champions League spot? Whoa. Is that the fixture on the last day of the uh, season? I don't think it is. I oh, think okay. maybe it's <laughs> <Sorry>. separate fixtures. <laughs> so, maybe, we'll skip that. <laughs> Brentford, by the way, are going to be hosting... Crystal that's how they should to be fair that's how they should do the last day of the season yeah. Yeah. Right, get there see what and the table see what, says yeah. what's the most beef yeah. you can it's have. called a playoff yeah. oh yeah. ah uh, it's what they in Belgium yes <laughs> Brentford take on Crystal Palace uh, both sides had hard fought draws last weekend against Arsenal and Brighton respectively Brentford 8th in the league on 34 points still unbeaten in 10 games last time they lost in the league was the 23rd of October Imagine at the start of the season saying it's mid-February and the two teams on the longest current run, unbeaten run, are Newcastle and Brentford. Madness. You'd have been laughed out of whatever <laughs> place you're in. When you Though I always it. think that with these situations, all these hypotheticals always do come to pass. So if someone random did come up to you and said, you know what, in a year's time, this would be the case, I'd be like, probably will happen. Also, why would they be saying that? Yeah, exactly. They'd only say it would happen. So I probably would have believed them. Well, it's like Biff or something, is it? Tannen, uh, the old almanac fella. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I'll, I'll pay attention next time. Good. Uh, I mean, you know, that's a game that's happening, as is Wolves against Bournemouth. Bournemouth, 19th spot. Wolves, though, uh, all the way up in 15th now after three wins in the last five. Hmm. And that's a good mid-season uh, managerial appointment. You look at, you know, these clubs without a manager, wonder if some think, yeah, I wish we'd gone a bit earlier. Because Lopetegui's made a massive difference for Wolves. And they've signed loads of players. They it have was also like, signed felt like they hadn't signed anyone for years, pretty much. And then they've gone, ah, we'll just get seven players in. Mm. There you go, Saints. Sign players, get a manager. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the Premier League weekend. And as such, that kind of brings us to the end of our journey today. Duncan, Sasha and Charlie, anything else you wanted to throw at us before we get set for the weekend? Nope. All right, then, listener. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Our thanks as well uh, to Liam and George earlier on and to producer uh, Jesse. And, uh, well, a great weekend in Prospect. We're back, of course, on Monday to round it all up and look ahead to Liverpool, Real Madrid and such. Why not join us then for now from all of us here? It's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. 